Psalm 22, verses 1 through 8. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for what we remember today. And we pray as your people that you would open our eyes once again to behold your glory. That you would open our ears that we might hear your truth. And that you might open our hearts that we might believe. That we might live transformed lives that the work of our hands might glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to tell you the story about my friend who perfectly obeyed and in spite of that was forsaken by God. See, we make a big deal about Good Friday because the entire Christian understanding of the world is cross-shaped. In the Christian life, new life comes out of death. Not death in general, which is the enemy, will be one day vanquished from our midst. Not death in general. True life, eternal life, emanates from the death of Jesus in our place. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was crucified for you, and he was crucified for me. And if you've come here today and you are not familiar with the work of Jesus, I can catch you up very quickly, but you might want to sit down with someone who you meet or someone who you came with to hear the story in a more comprehensive way because it is literally the most important thing you could ever hear in your entire life. Jesus is God and he is the creator of everything and everyone. And when humanity, who were the pinnacle of his creation, rebelled against him, it's something that we call sin, what it did was change the scope of human history and it fractured the relationship that we had with God. So now there's something wrong with the way that we relate to God. There's something wrong with the way that we relate to one another in this world. And there's something wrong with the way we uh, relate to the rest of creation. Something happened. We call it sin the result of sin. And we think that it points to a need for a savior. Now humanity needed a way to be made right with God, but no punishment could satisfy his holiness. So out of his great love for us, he enacted a plan where he would send his own son, Jesus. He would send him to pay the penalty of sin. He would send him to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf. That penalty was paid on the cross. 
Jesus entered into human history. He lived his life without sin in perfect obedience to God. Yet at the appointed time, he was arrested by people who wanted him out of there. He was arrested by people who wanted him dead. He was convicted of crimes that he never committed, and he was sentenced to death. And the way that they killed criminals in that day was upon a wooden cross in a method called crucifixion. Now, this is going to rub some of you the wrong way. But it was not just the religious and political leaders who killed Jesus on the cross. This plan that Jesus would be executed in our place and for our sins, the plan for Jesus to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf, this plan was put together by God from the very beginning. See, on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin. That's our sin, your sin, my sin. And he died paying the penalty of our sin in our place. It was on the cross that he took on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the things that we wish no one else knew, the things that we wish we did not do, the things that we wish we did but didn't do, the ugliest parts of ourself, all that we have done, those things that we try to suppress and keep down deep in our own hearts. And he took all of that upon himself, and he was punished in our place that we might be forgiven. So that we could be forgiven, Jesus was crucified. And crucifixion was a nasty way to die. The pain of crucifixion was so much that they invented a word to explain it. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. Death by crucifixion could take days because it basically amounted to a very slow asphyxiation. While you were pinned to the cross, you needed to support the weight of your body on your pierced hands and on your pierced feet and lift yourself up just so you could take your next breath. And all of this was done in high traffic areas where passers-by would see maximizing pain and shame and humiliation. What they would do to a person crucified is they would lay them down on a wooden crossbeam on the ground and they would take five to seven inch spikes and they would drive them through the hand or the wrist of the person. And then what they would do is they would take the other arm and they would pull it out of its socket, dislocating the shoulder, stretching it across the wooden beam. And they would pin it there. And then they would take your feet And they would pin them to the vertical part of the cross while you were laying on the ground. And then they would stand the cross up. And they would guide it into a hole in the ground. And as the cross hit the tipping point and was dropped into the hole on the ground, the full weight of your body shook, pinned only, held only by the three spikes in your hands and feet. This is what they did to Jesus on that first Good Friday. This is what we remember here today. That's why there's a cross on our stage. On the cross, God poured out all of his judgment for your sin on Jesus. On the cross, God treated Jesus as though he committed every sin of every person who would ever come to believe in him. He carried it in his body. This is the good news of Good Friday. 
We don't call it Good Friday because of the way that the political and religious leaders killed Jesus. We don't call it good because of the way he was put to death. We call it good because of what Jesus' death accomplished on our behalf. And this morning as we look back at Psalm 22, I want us to see how Jesus' death by crucifixion was always God's plan. I want us to see that Jesus understood this psalm, Psalm 22, to be about himself. And I want us to see that Jesus was forsaken so that we never would be. Psalm 22 tells us that Jesus' death by crucifixion was always God's plan. Now, imagine you were a poet. And with your words, you painted a vivid picture of an execution of a person. But in your poem, they're being put to death by a horrific method of execution that has not yet been invented. This is what David did in what we call Psalm 22. This psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. It was authored by David in the first person, but it is not about David. When we read it today in 2019, we clearly understand that it is about Jesus and his crucifixion. And I'll show you more of that in a minute. But historically speaking, this was written 500 years before the Persians invented the method of execution we call crucifixion. It was written just about a thousand years before the Romans perfected execution by crucifixion as a means of propaganda and control over their empire. Listen to how David articulates this in Psalm 22, verses 14 through 18. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My heart, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. People following after David knew that this was a prophetic, messianic psalm. That it was looking forward to something that they may not be able to fully comprehend in the first moment that they read it. They knew there was something else going on. That means that they knew that it pointed forward to the Savior. To the one who was to come. Who would come and save his people from their sins. They knew that it pointed forward. They just didn't know how. And so they looked. And they waited. Psalm 22 is a word from God delivered through his prophet David 1,000 years before Jesus enters into human history. Psalm 22 tells us of the horrors of Good Friday, and it tells us that the horrors of Good Friday were God's idea. Let me show you what I mean from another text in Acts chapter 2. It says in Acts chapter 2 that one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Peter, that he was standing up and preaching to a crowd of people just weeks after Jesus Christ was crucified. Just weeks after he had been betrayed and arrested and scourged for crimes that he never committed and then tried by a court and condemned to a vicious beating, like I said, and ultimately put to death. Peter's telling them who Jesus is. He's standing up, preaching to the crowds. Here's who Jesus is, and here's what you should do in light of that. And he says something that we cannot miss. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He says Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That he was put to death by lawless men. He says God knew about the crucifixion of Jesus before it happened. He says not only did God know about the crucifixion of Jesus before it happened, but that God allowed it to happen. He says not only did the crucifixion of Jesus exist in the mind of God and was known beforehand, not only did he allow it to happen, but that he purposed it. He says Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. Christ City, we gather together today. I want you to know that because God loves you, Good Friday was God's idea. We can see it all the way back in Psalm 22 as David prophesied that the Messiah would be put to death by a method of execution that did not exist yet. Jesus' death by crucifixion was always God's plan, and Jesus understands this psalm to be about himself. This is the account of Jesus' death on the cross as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 27, 45-50, the text that Jake read earlier. This is what it says. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them said, uh, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait. Let us see whether Elijah comes to save him. And verse 50 says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you need to be reminded that the chapters and verses, the numbers in our Bible, were not put there until way, way, way later than this. So one of the ways that you referenced a portion of Scripture in God's Word, one of the ways that you referenced a psalm, one of the ways that a rabbi like Jesus would have referenced an entire passage of Scripture, was to quote the opening line. And when you quoted the opening line of this passage of Scripture, it meant that you were referring to more than just this line. It was a way of referencing everything that that portion of Scripture contained, everything that it meant. All of the import of that text was being brought into that situation when a rabbi like Jesus quotes a a verse like this. So when Jesus quotes word from word from Psalm 22, it's like he's saying, just in case you ever wondered if this psalm, this psalm of David, if you ever wondered it was about me, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Matthew 27, verse 39. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Psalm 22, verse 16. They pierced my hands and feet. This, in Matthew 27, is the account of the crucifixion of our Christ. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. A thousand years before this, David prophesied that they would cast lots for his clothing. Matthew 27, verse 35. When they had crucified him, they were dividing his garments among them by casting lots. When we look at it this way, when we parallel these two passages a a thousand years apart, it is impossible not to see that this is an amazingly accurate prophecy of the crucifixion and death of our dear Savior. In Psalm 22, David is vividly describing the execution, the scene of the execution of the Messiah. And he is vividly describing the means of that execution by explaining a method that had not yet been invented. And Jesus says, this psalm is about me. In this moment right here on the cross. It's about me. I am the one you were expecting. I am the one who loves you. I'm the one who came for you. When we pause and think about everything that I've just said, it does beg the question, did God really forsake or abandon Jesus on the cross? Yes. Jesus' death by crucifixion was always God's plan. Jesus understood this psalm, Psalm 22, to be about himself. And Jesus was forsaken so that we never would be. And when Jesus was forsaken or abandoned by the Father, you've got to understand their separation was not one of nature or essence or substance. Jesus did not in any sense or in any degree cease to exist as God or as a member of the Trinity. But it was in this moment that our sin was leveled upon Him, that the sin of the world was laid upon Him. The sinless one in this moment... He did not cease to be God, but he was forsaken. He did not cease to be the son any more than a child who sins against his human father ceases to be his child. But Jesus did for a while cease to know the intimacy of fellowship with his heavenly father. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not a sinful, rebellious, or angry cry of somebody who's frustrated with God, or it was not a cry of impatience or despair. It was not a cry of questioning. It was the cry of a lost child whose father had just turned away from him for the very first time. It's the cry of a child who longs to see his father again. And in the strangest paradox in history, Jesus Christ being the only man to have ever perfectly obeyed God, he was forsaken by him. 
the answer is yes. Jesus was forsaken on the cross. Why? Because he became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the answer is yes. God abandoned Jesus. Why? Because he became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, for our sake, God put the sin of the world, our sin, your sin, my sin, upon Christ. He became sin for us. God turned. Father turns. And Christ on the cross says, why have you forsaken me? The sinless Savior, he becomes sin for us and he was judged in our place. Without Jesus' willingness to be abandoned, he knew that we could not have eternal life. So the answer is yes, God abandoned Jesus. And you say, but why? Well, hear me. He was abandoned so that we never would be. He was forsaken so that we never could be. The cross was a necessary part of God's plan because in God's great love, he set out to save us. But our sin needed to be judged. One author said the place where God's love and God's holiness embrace is at the cross. God's love and God's holiness come together and the focal point is seen on the cross. God the Father, he says, sent his son, his only son, to suffer and to die for sins. His life for our life. His pain for our gain. Here is the love of God. And here also in the cross is the holiness of God. The death penalty is executed against sin. The sins of God's people are paid in full. So he was abandoned for you and he was abandoned for me. He was forsaken for his people, the church. The great theologian John Stott said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. It was not merely the Roman governors. It was not merely the Jewish religious leaders. It was not merely the soldier who pounded the spikes who killed Jesus. It was the plan that God had enacted from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth. Jesus went to the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but he went there to take upon himself the punishment I deserved before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-10 through 10 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Listen. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is the Christian life. Because of Jesus, we might be afflicted, we might be perplexed, we might be persecuted, we might be struck down, but please hear me, we'll never be forsaken. You might feel like God has forgotten about you. In a room this size with this many people, there's not a chance that all of us walked in here today thinking that we are the apple of his eye. There's not a chance there are not some people here saying, I think you forgot about me. You might feel like there's no way that anyone could ever understand you. You might feel abandoned. You might feel alone. Maybe in the midst of the situation that you're in, you feel like God just passed you by, like you're insignificant, like you have been forgotten. Oh, I remember the cross. You've not been forgotten. I don't know what your life situation is. Maybe you're single. And maybe you're patiently waiting for a spouse, but your patience is growing thin, and you are wondering if God just forgot to be faithful to you too. Remember the cross. You've not been forgotten. You are deeply loved. You might be in a marriage where you are the person who follows Jesus and your partner does not. And perhaps that causes a lot of conflict. You've not been forgotten. You might be in a wonderful relationship and perhaps you and your spouse are unable to conceive. And in your barrenness, you cry out to God and say, why have you forsaken me and left me in this state? Can I just tell you, you've not been forsaken. Remember the cross where God sent his only son to die for you and start your understanding of the circumstances of your life on that foundation. And you know that you can never be forsaken. You might be in a thousand different situations with all these feelings of abandonment or rejection or forsakenness, and I know that some of us carried these in today, but if you think in the midst of all of your shattered dreams or the difficult situations of your life or the broken relationships you're in or the hopeless circumstances surrounding you, if you think that somehow you've been forsaken by God, can I tell you today that you believed a lie? You believed a lie. We might might be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but we are not forsaken. Maybe you're living in fear. I don't know what the future holds for me, you think. Maybe it's frustration that things have not worked out according to the plans that you laid out. And the sense that you have is that you're perhaps not as good as the person sitting next to you. Can I tell you that's a lie? Let me speak God's word over you today. Christ City, do you think you can be forsaken by God? Do you think there's something you could do that would put you outside of his reach? Do you think there's something that you could do after you come to follow him that would separate you from him? Do you think there's something that you could do that would make you undesirable to him who sent his son for you? Do you think that? Let me read God's word. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bank on it. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Are you hearing the theme? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. After Jesus died and, and was raised, he came to them and he came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Son and daughter of God gathered here today. Do you think God has abandoned you? Look at the cross and ask yourself one more time. Bring your sense of the circumstances of your life into line with the truth and build upon that foundation. Do you doubt his love for you? Behold the cross. Do you think that you're a lost cause and that somehow you're beyond saving? (laughs) Behold the crucified Savior. Good Friday is the story about Jesus who perfectly obeyed the will of God and he did it for you. And because of that, you can know for certain that you'll never be forsaken by God. But this is not where Psalm 22 ends. When Jesus quoted the first line of Psalm 22 on the cross, on the hill of Golgotha, outside the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, when he quoted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said that he invoked the fullness of that text. Here's how Psalm 22 ends. Verse 27 through the end says, All of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow down all who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That he has done it. When Jesus was on the cross and he completed his work on the cross, do you know what Jesus cried out? He said, It is finished. He has done it. 
Jesus, he cries out, forsaken on the cross, forsaken for you and forsaken for me. But Jesus does so with Easter in sight. That this would not be the end. Let me pray. In the midst of the prayer, I would like to leave a moment of reflective silence. So I will pray for a moment and I'll leave some time and then I'll conclude. Merciful God, we meet each other today here at the foot of the cross as inhabitants of one world and members of one greater family. O crucified Jesus, ruler of every heart, in you are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In you dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and we worship you. Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. Jesus, bearer of our sins, have mercy on us. Jesus, redeemer of the world, we pray you grant us peace. Almighty God, look with mercy on your family for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and to be given over to the hands of sinners and to suffer death on the cross. Through him who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.